As human beings, we naturally crave social connections. In fact, specialists in longevity teach us that social connections support longer life and well-being. But as more and more of our connections take place digitally, there is an impact on brain health, and that impacts overall physical health as well. And in this current time of viral pandemic, we're also experiencing a pandemic of anxiety and greater depression. But there are simple practices that we can incorporate into our daily lives to support our emotional and physical well-being. Hello, I'm Lori Bush, co-founder of Sylvasa Integrative Beauty. In this episode of The Beauty Construct, Sylvasa President Dr. Chris Karras chats with neuropsychologist Dr. Kristen Race about how to overcome the sense of isolation and social deprivation you or your loved ones may be experiencing in general, and especially at times that are celebrated with togetherness. Hi, and welcome, and thank you for being here this evening. My name is Chris Karras, and I'm the president of Solvasa, the integrative beauty company. It's my great pleasure to welcome you to the first talk in season two of our speaker series called The Beauty Construct. If you're new to Solvasa, I encourage you to check out season one of The Beauty Construct. It's free to download on Spotify or the Apple Store or wherever you get your podcasts. Our speaker tonight, Dr. Kristen Race, is a best-selling author, founder of Mindful Life, a two-time TEDx speaker, host of Train Your Brain on BYLR Radio, as well as the mindfulness expert here at Solvasa. Dr. Race is a world-renowned expert in the field of mindfulness, and her work has been featured in several top-tier publications, including the New York Times, NPR, and the Washington Post. She has also trained over 50,000 corporate leaders in her methods worldwide. And tonight, Dr. Race is joining us from Steamboat Strings, Colorado, where she lives with her husband and two teenagers, to talk about how to be present this holiday season. Welcome, Dr. Race. Thank you, Chris. Thanks so much. My pleasure to be here this evening. Good. Well, let's start by talking about what's going on in people's lives, which is the upcoming holiday season, which is, to put it mildly, a little bit different than in years past. How are you feeling about it? And how are you approaching the holiday season? Well, I have to tell you, I think I vacillate between extreme emotions on a daily basis when I talk about the holidays. My mom has been really ill this fall, and so not being able to help her as much as I would like has been really hard. The thought of not being with my parents this holiday season is difficult, and so much has been taken away from us in 2020. And then when it comes to thinking about the holiday season, there's a lot being taken away from us there as well. We aren't gathering for holiday parties. We don't have our typical work gatherings and celebrations. Even our kids don't get to have their holiday concerts or nativity plays or secret Santa parties. It goes on and on. And, you know, we can't travel and gather with extended family. So I started thinking about this. And, you know, really what I've come to is when I start thinking about all these things I'm missing. What I'm realizing I am getting is this gift of time. And so I'm, I'm caught up in, okay, you know, when I add up all the hours that I'm not spending going to these parties, prepping for parties, going to the mall and doing the things I would normally do, I think we're probably gaining somewhere between 30 and 90 hours of awake time this month. 
So it really comes down to a choice of every day focusing on all that we are missing and how we wish things were different, which is what our brain wants us to do. Or we can focus on this gift of time and how we want to use it. So tell me more about that. Why is it that I immediately think about what I've lost? It's not natural for me, or maybe you, it sounds like, to just immediately look at this and say, oh, this is great. I have all this time now. It's like, it, but no, it's we're th- all we're thinking about is what we've lost, what we've lost. In fact, you could argue this whole year could have been, if someone had told you a year ago, you're, you're basically going to not commute anymore. And what are you going to do with all that time? But why, why is it that we struggle to see this as a positive thing? And we just, we focus on the things that we don't have. Why are we wired that way? It's with the way our brains are wired. And so we have a negative bias in our brain. It's three to five times more sensitive to negative information than positive. And it's a survival mechanism. Uh, It was, you know, as we evolved, it was much more important to be thinking about the things that could kill us than to stop and smell the beautiful flowers. And in 2020, we have had so many negative pieces of information thrown at us, you know, starting with the pandemic and the list of events goes on from natural disasters, social unrest, and all that's been taken away from us. It's easy to be constantly thrown into this survival response. And when we're in that survival mode, what we do is we focus on the negative and the worst case scenario. So we have to be really intentional. And that's where the mindfulness comes in about shifting that and and looking for the places where we can focus on the good within the context of what we're all going through. So that's a great segue into, so you're telling us we got to focus on the good. What is the good? What, What are we supposed to do with this time? What are you doing? I mean, you said it yourself. You came to the realization yourself that you're looking at this as a gift of time to allow you to be present in the holiday season. So what are you doing with it? So I've given this a lot of thought (laughs) and, you know, and I still, even with this intention of totally focusing on the gift of time, I have to be, you know, transparent. There's still times when I think I just want the holidays to be behind me and it to be 2021. But my intention is to focus on three pillars. And this is really what we're focusing on a family. And those are to give meaningfully, to connect intentionally, and to reflect on how I want to grow personally and professionally. So that's kind of what I've wired it down to. And what are you doing personally? You know, well, I'll start with kind of this giving meaningfully category. And this is not just me, but as a family, I really decided you know, oftentimes December flies by and I find myself just buying gifts for the sake of, you know, getting the gift out. And I thought, well, I isn't, have that, isn't that the purpose of the holidays? Just to yeah. like check off. It's like you create a list, you buy everything. Congratulations. Isn't right. that the point? Right. It could be. It could <laughs> easily get that way. But I thought we had an opportunity to really give meaningfully this year. And so a couple of things that we're doing as a family in my retreats, one of the activities that we do is we write a letter of appreciation to someone who has had a profound impact, positive impact on our life. And I have participants do this and they read it to them. They call them up and they read them the letter and then they mail it. And it's a very profound experience, both for the recipient and for the person who does it. 
And so I always struggle with, you know, what my kids should get my parents for the holidays. And the reality is they need nothing. So this year we are going to be writing um, letters of appreciation to them. All of us are. And then on Christmas morning over FaceTime, we will read them the letters and then put them in the mail. So that is one thing that we're doing. And, and we have several others, but you know, that's just kind of one of the, the things that I'm trying to, to stay focused on. And, and the reality is my kids have more time than they typically do. They're not as caught up in all of the after-school activities and all the things they normally have going on. So I'm trying to be really intentional about drawing them into the giving meaningfully process and the ways that they can participate in that as well. They might have done this before in years past. It sounds like it's not totally new for you guys, but it seems like there's this natural thought process that says uh, getting gifts is good and, and I want presents and I want stuff, but you're saying actually not. This is something better to do. What can somebody expect by doing that? Am I, am I going to enjoy that more than receiving a toy if I'm a, if I'm a kid or a child? Or, I mean, to unpack a little bit why doing something like that is so meaningful to both people. Yes. And don't get me wrong. My kids have a, a gift list that they would, <laughs> they would not be down with just getting a letter. But there are tremendous benefits from them going through the process. And actually, the process of them writing the letter and reading the letter, what research tells us is they gain a much bigger boost in happiness than actually the recipient of the letter. So there's a lot to that process that we go through expressing our appreciation from someone that we see a boost in happiness. And even for people who are suffering greatly, almost the more depressed a person is going into this practice, the more benefits they receive. And so obviously my parents are going to be thrilled to get this letter from their right. grand, what grandparent wouldn't. But I think for my kids, the gift for them is to go through the process and to feel what it feels like to do that for somebody and how it is received and to feel the boost that they get from uh, giving meaningfully as well. That doesn't mean there's not going to be some presents under the tree for them, yeah. but, uh, but I, you know, I little bits and pieces, I just try and weave in it. What's something else you're doing with this time? So you talked about the letters. I think that's fantastic. And our, our listeners, both live and, and later people that are listening to this recorded can absolutely do that. But what else would you tell people is a, something to consider during this time of year to present and focus on the problem? Yeah, I mean, a couple, say, staying in that giving pillar, I guess, a couple of things we're doing is when my kids were young, we had a gratitude jar and we kept it on our table. And as we ate dinner, we would write down on scratch paper things we were grateful for and we would put it, actually, I have the jar. This is the jar. They decorated it when they were about four and six. And um, so we write down things we're grateful for. We put them in the jar. And about once a week, we pull things out and we'd read them. And as I was talking about it, I thought, I really miss that jar. I want to bring the jar back. Here we're having family dinners all the time now. And so we're bringing the jar back, not just for our family, but we are also making them as gifts. So we got uh -huh. nice and we even made cards that will say, you know, today I feel grateful for nice. that. Yeah. And so the idea is that you're helping somebody else to establish this gratitude practice as well. So I love that. 
we're doing. Now, do you go back and read that? Is the act of doing it the important part? Or do you ever find yourself going back and reading them later as to just to kind of remind yourself? Yeah, both actually. So the act of doing it is very healthy for our, our own self-care and our well-being. But it's also nice about once a week to we'll pass the jar around and just pull out cards and we'll read what is on them. And then after I, you know, I ended up having such a big bowl full when the kids were young, my husband actually made a poster and he glued all of them on. So I have this giant board of little gratitudes from when my kids were young. So there's a lot, a lot of ways to keep getting the benefits from it as the process goes on. I love that. That's really nice. One of the other pillars you mentioned was connecting in new ways. So what are you doing to connect with other people outside your immediate family? Yeah, you know, I think it requires a great deal of intention without these gatherings. And my husband had a really good idea when we were talking about this. And he said, you know, normally you go to these holiday parties and you have all these three minute conversations or five minute conversations as you bounce around. And what if instead you made a list of people that you've been meaning to reach out to and you made one meaningful phone call a day? And I love that idea. And he's been very active in doing that. And so I've been thinking about, okay, maybe I want to write letters or what do I want to do? And, you know, something really interesting happened to me yesterday, actually. I received a holiday card and the card was from my sixth grade, two of my teachers in elementary school who I've stayed in touch with throughout the year. And what I loved about the card was It was the opposite of everything that I don't care for in a holiday card. So a lot of times when I think of holiday cards, it's like, these are the pictures of our beautiful vacations and these are all of our successes and our wins and our trophies. And this card just spoke so wholeheartedly about how hard 2020 has been, how um, she had lost her brother unexpectedly and was not able to grieve with her mother, how her husband who's been ill is going into hospice. And it wasn't a Debbie, you know, she also spoke about her kids and the good things they were doing, but it was a very vulnerable, I felt very connected by reading this card. And I immediately went to Facebook and I wrote this big, long message about her husband, who's now in hospice, who was one of my teachers, and just laid out everything about what he meant to me and the impact that he had on me and how so many of his traits I feel like he instilled. And then that resulted in this conversation for her responding. And now we're going to try and Zoom and connect. And so I think it's kind of taking that extra step, which Normally, I would, you know, often I would read that without the intention of connection. I would read that letter and feel bad and think, oh, gosh, what a hard year. But it was taking that extra step of connecting in that way. What I love, there's two things that you said I want to make sure that everyone is listening at home got. The first was you had intention that you wanted to connect with somebody. And so it left you, you were receptive and almost looking for an opportunity to show up. And just like you said, if you weren't looking to make a meaningful connection, you would have read that and not thought, I should connect, this is perfect, right? So you're sort of opening yourself up to that. The second thing that I really like, uh, I guess a whole other topic, is the, the being vulnerable 
And by, by this person being vulnerable with you, you were able to create this connection and that there's so much of people, you know, I get the letters too, and, 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 and on Facebook and everything. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's so much social pressure to build these sort of very perfect representations of yourself. And when you do that, it's like, well, I don't really, well, you know, it's, it's almost, it's almost a little bit of a wall. Like it's actually hard to make that connection with somebody. Whereas if somebody's feeling vulnerable and they're sharing with you, it gives you a platform to connect with them, to talk about feelings that are meaningful to you. You certainly made a big impact in their life. I have no doubt. And uh, I think that's really good for everybody listening at home to be mindful about how you show up, but also to be, to, to, when you have intention that, that the sort of not without getting too hokey, the sort of the universe will provide all sorts of opportunities for you if you're, if you're looking for them. So I love that you shared that with us. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it, it was that vulnerability that drew me in a hundred percent. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the, the social media version of myself or herself that she wanted to present. And I think that so many people are struggling right now, but, but maybe still afraid to show that to the people around them or to their support system or to their community. So I really appreciated that she shared what she was going through. So the third pillar that you mentioned and something that we do with time is we try to improve ourselves, right? We're going we're gonna to eat better and work out and like, I don't have this, you know, I have all this time. So what are you doing? What are you doing with that pillar of, of self-growth? How are you using this time to, to improve yourself? Yes. And I, I think this came out of, well, came out of a couple things. And one was the typical gluttony that normally accompanies December for me, which is eating a lot of bad food and going to parties and all the snacks and the hors d'oeuvres and the cocktails and usually arriving at January 1st feeling just like a big puffer fish. So I thought, well, maybe I can try and avoid that this year. And so doing little things like we created a December fitness challenge in my family. What's the fitness challenge? Can I ask? The the fitness challenge is just to get outside, which takes a commitment when you live in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So it's to get outside and do something every day. And, you know, so for some that might be just going out and walking the dog, I try to do a lot of hikes and backcountry skiing. It might be going out skiing. It's just getting outside and doing something physical. And so that's what I'm working on because it's easy, I think, in December as it gets cold, just to just to hunker down. And especially when you're feeling a little depressed or down about stuff, that is my tendency just to kind of want to crawl under the covers. So that's what. But when it comes to growth, I feel like a lot of 2020 has been, okay, let's do what we need to do to get through, and then we'll do this, and then I'll do that, and then I'll move in this direction. And I've always been a lifelong learner. I've always been one to put kind of lofty goals and challenges out there. And so I want to start this process earlier this year and really reflect on my personal goals, my professional goals. I've developed so much content over the last nine months going through all this and and in my work that I'm really excited about what I want to do with that and all of the opportunities that that could provide for getting this information out to people. So I'll spend a lot of time kind of toying with that and taking steps in that moving forward in that growth direction. 
That's great. I, I can really relate to the wanting to hunker down as it gets colder. It's uh, especially with gyms closed in a lot of the country. You know, my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. and it's time to run. And I'm like, it looks cold outside. <laughs> I think I'd rather take a hot shower than go out. But I agree with you. You know, setting those goals, you know, really does make a big difference. In, in, and, if you, and if people set that goal to, to say, get outside and you don't, you don't make it so difficult. It's just like, you just have to get outside and do something. You know, I, I think, I think it's a great way to use the time. I think that you've given so many great examples uh, to our listeners about ways that they can think about this time as a gift and not as, you know, something bad that they're, you know, they can't travel. There's a pandemic going on, but there's still some people that are going to kind of struggle, I think, to get to that point. They're listening to us maybe, and they're thinking, this sounds good, but I'm kind of struggling to just even get to the point where I could engage with this. So. So, you know, or, or they know somebody, right? They might say, this is great for me, but I'm trying to rally my family. I'm trying to rally a close friend, a loved one, a family member. So what can they do to uh, try to help people get to this point where they're really seeing it as a, as a gift of time? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll start with kind of what we can do for ourselves if you're in that state, and then maybe what we can do for others. And so I think, you know, when you're often it's easy to get to that state where if another person tells me a silver lining, I think I'm going to punch them in the face. Like I just am not there. I can't <laughs> around it. And that makes sense based on what we've all been through. And so when you're in that state, I feel like something that can be really helpful is just to shift from what I call what if to what is. So often when we are stuck in that depression, the anxiety, the worries, we have all these what ifs flying around in our head. What if I get sick? What if I don't get to see my mom this winter? What if my kids don't go back to school? And all of these what ifs still feed our negative emotions. They feed our anxiety. So when you notice those what ifs, you can switch just to try to pivot to your direct experience. And it doesn't mean you're recognizing, you know, that you're shifting to oh, all of a sudden I feel positive and optimistic about everything, but it's shifting from, okay, I'm in this what if mind to, okay, what is in this moment? What is it that I see in this moment? And I may look around the room and try to look for something that I haven't paid attention to recently. And then I might shift to a different sense and say, what is it that I hear in this moment? So I may close my eyes and just listen for a few seconds. What is it that I feel in this moment? I might feel the weight of my feet on the floor, the weight of my seat in the chair. And when we do that, we shift from that default network in our brain, which is the worrying, the ruminating, the comparing, the negative thought patterns to our direct experience, which is all we have, right? That's mindfulness. And that subtle shift just turns down the volume on that negativity. And this is a practice we use a lot, you know, people suffering from terminal illness or who are in a lot of pain. And it's really profoundly effective just to be able to shift into what is in my direct experience. So that, you know, that's one practice for people who are suffering. So you said something there I want to ask about. You said the default mode is to walk around worrying. 
Is that true? I know we mentioned it earlier that we're kind of primed to look at bad news, but I'd see that as a little different than worrying. So we're, we're fighting that too. So we're primed to worry all the time and to focus on bad news. Well, it's not necessarily to worry, but it's to be, um, so the default net, net mode network, we spend about half of our time, about 47% of our time in that network. Okay. And we kind of wander in and out of several general tasks. One is time travel. So that's worrying about the future or, you know, thinking about the past. We get involved in social cognition. So thinking about others, how we think about them, what they think about us our sense of self. So I'm the kind of person who likes this. I'm the kind of person who is good at that. And it's just, it's where we go when we're on autopilot and it takes us out of our direct experience. And often what we know is people who spend a lot of time in that default mode network tend to have significantly higher levels of depression and anxiety because they're spending a lot of time in judgment, judgment of themselves, judgment of others of the regretting and the worrying, and that's an easy place to go. And the default mode network was important for us as we evolved, because when we weren't being chased by those saber-toothed tigers, it was helpful to be thinking about where they might be. But now, more often than not, than not it takes us out of the present moment. It puts us our focus on what is wrong and not what is right with what is in the present moment or how we wish things were different. So making that shift to our direct experience from a neuroscience perspective can make a big difference in how we feel. So when people would say, you know, traditionally, you know, you sit down and meditate for 20 minutes and focus on your breathing. And a lot of people that just, this doesn't work for them, but it sounds like even just walking around and saying, tree, car, boat, how do my feet feel? Feel the breathe. Like, this kind of just um, becoming just very full. And I think more people could say, I could walk around and do that. And just yeah. you know, almost kind of childlike, just like very much like what you see is going right in. And you're saying that over time, people that practice that, there is a, a brain improvement that happens here. This is that they actually it will, it will help people to be present more often, even when they're not intentionally doing it. A hundred percent. And so what you're describing right there is called a noting practice. And so it's just noting what your brain is doing. I am seeing, I am hearing, I am feeling, I am thinking, I am thinking, I am thinking, seeing, so it's bringing <laughs> yourself back, right? Yeah. And what we see in meditators or in people and noting is a meditation practice. It's the awareness of being able to notice when you've gone into that default mode network, when you become lost in thought. And to bring your attention back to your point of focus, that's the, where the real magic occurs. Not so it. that's where we can really start to integrate mindfulness into our day in, day out thoughts, behaviors, and actions. Okay. So somebody can do that or they, someone on this, on the listening can tell somebody in their life and they can, they can help them to think that way. One of the things that I like doing is I like to have a plan. Like you have the plan, you work the plan, you kind of take the guesswork out of it. We alluded to this earlier that, you know, if you sort of wake up and you're like, I don't know what to do, or then, you know, you simply probably default into, you know, maybe behaviors that aren't changing or aren't bringing you forward. And so what are some ways that you can stick to this, you know, that you sort of make this really part of your, your life? 
What is really big for me is my morning ritual. And I am a profound believer, and those of you that have heard me speak before hear this a lot, that how you start your day sets the tone for your day. And it's very easy to wake up to that alarm on your smartphone and start digging into, you know, all of the red badges, the texts, the notifications, the headlines. And when we do that, instantly we are thrown into our survival mechanisms to the alarm response in our brain because it, it triggers those survival mechanisms. So I wake up in the morning to an alarm clock. I go downstairs and I set my coffee to brew. And I spend about five minutes doing some kind of mindfulness practice. Usually it's a mindful breathing practice until the little bell goes off that my coffee is done. And what this does for me, and this is just part of my morning ritual and routine, but what that does to me is it primes my prefrontal cortex. It basically, it's priming my, optimizing my brain for the day. So it's stimulating my prefrontal cortex, that forward thinking, decision-making, problem-solving part of my brain. And I start the day in a healthy brain state. Now, I also do things like I have a planner that I created. And so the next part of my morning ritual is I identify my top three priorities for that day and I set an intention for the day. And I feel like that is really a core to, you know, it's a small change that somebody can make to just don't look at your phone in the first five minutes of the day and do something mindful can make a big difference for somebody in terms of the creating a healthy brain state and a healthy approach to the day. But for me, it's just like this anchor that I can come back to. I have this intention. I have my top three priorities. I have little tricks that I do to optimize my brain throughout the day. And it's all of those things that help me make choices that help me reach those goals and help me stretch and help me grow and help me do all the other things that I want to do. What I really like about what you said, and I want to make sure that everyone, I want to reiterate the point that the things that stop us from seeing this pandemic as a gift of time, worrying, focusing on negativity, these sort of very primal, you know, reptilian brain things that we don't quite need anymore, but were really important for survival. When you wake up and you hit it and you look at your phone and you're do, 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 do. You are just turning those on before you even get out of bed because you're immediately, what did I miss? What's going on? What, you're you're going to focus on the bad news. You're going to see an email. You're going to see something. You're going to worry. You're activating all of this stuff that is stopping you from being present and stopping you from seeing, say, this holiday time as a gift. And not just in the holidays, but all the time. And then just by taking a couple of minutes to decide this is how I'm going to live the day. This is my intention. I am going to be present. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to fall into this throughout the day, but what it means is you're really setting yourself up to start the day very strong. And a lot of people will ride that momentum. And my guess is that if you do this a lot, like every day, that it has sort of downstream and eventual sort of whole, you know, whole life, you know, positive outcomes because you're, you're learning to sort of recognize how, you know, you're learning to almost see what feeds that, you know, those negative and that negative energy and, you know, sort of compartmentalizing it or recognizing it. And so you can focus on, on the positive thing. So did I get that right? 
A hundred. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's developing that ability little by little, you know, strengthening the neural pathways and the part of our brain that make us very quickly able to recognize when we're getting off track, when I'm getting lost in thought, when I'm being pulled in a bunch of different directions and not focused on what I need to be focused on and what I need to get done. And as we get better at that kind of meta attention, then we become much more productive. We become much more efficient. We are better at managing our time and we're more engaged with the people that are right in front of us. So it's little by little, but it it adds up quickly and it makes a really profound difference in your life. So I have one more question for you, topic I want to discuss. And you kind of, we've alluded to it a little bit in this, in the last pillar here about using time for personal growth and self-improvement. We're coming up on the big tradition of New Year's resolutions. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to make New Year's resolutions or they've made them in the past. And, you know, if you read the stats, most people sort of bail on them pretty quick. How do you look at the new year and, and what do you, do you make New Year's resolutions or how do you approach this? So it's interesting when the year that I created my planner, I created it because what I used to do is I would write down my resolutions every year. And I noticed that about three years in a row, I had the exact same resolutions and I had not achieved any of them, <laughs> but I just kept resetting them each year. Yeah. I thought, okay, I'm a neuroscience geek. I got to be able to figure this out. And so that was my intention with creating this system. And there were a couple of things that went into it. And one was that it's not about our motivation that gets in the way. It's our brain state. And so by doing things like creating a morning ritual that optimizes your brain state, you're better able on a daily basis to make the choices that are in line with your goal or the behavior that you want to change. So at the core of this system is what do I need to do on a day in and day out basis so I don't get burnt out on my goal? So I continue to take steps forward. So if I run into an obstacle, I know what to do. So that's the first thing that I would say. And then the other thing that I I built into it, which has really stuck with me, is I set monthly goals. So it's not just a New Year's resolution, but every month I have a goal that I'm working towards. And I go through a process to set that goal, which is called a WHOOP, which is not something that I created, but it's a research-based process. And it stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, and Plan. And so your wish is your goal. Your outcome is how you're going to feel if you achieve that goal. Your obstacle is it's visualizing what is going to get in the way. And this is really key when it comes to resolutions and goal setting. It's going through in your head all of the different things. Okay, Chris, you are going to wake up in the morning and you've decided that you're going to run five days a week, but it's 10 below. Yep. It's icy. <laughs> so. Without having thought about the obstacles and the plan, then you might wake up and say, well, I can't run today. I'm going back to bed. But if you've already outlined that when if I wake up and it is 10 degrees outside or whatever, then I am going to go up and down the stairs 15 times and call it good. Or I'm going to go walk on the treadmill or when gyms are open, I'm going to go to the gym instead or I'm going to wait until noon when the temperature goes up and that's when I'm going to do it over the lunch hour, whatever it might be. But it's the process of not letting an obstacle stop us in our tracks 
because we've already thought about what our pivot is going to be. I like that. And when the and, obstacle and comes up, we just shift. We don't get totally stuck. One of the other things that I've noticed is that when people say fail on their resolution, there's mm-hmm. something like, well, I got to wait till next year. Like it's all, it's this kind of weird thing where there's like only a certain time. It's like people say, I'm going to start my diet on Monday. Like why, what, what is it about sort of creating these, some sense just sort of artificially designed starting points? And why does New Year's have so much meaning around it for it's time to start new? I mean, why can't you just pick a day and do this? Yeah, I think it is helpful to have a starting point in mind, but the New Year's thing is very arbitrary. I think it's everybody feels so awful by the time they get through the holidays that they think, (laughs) I have to make a change. And maybe that's where it came from. But for me, that's where this process of every month having a goal, I feel like just kind of keeps me on this trajectory that it doesn't have to be New Year's. It's, I'm going to get through this. And, you know, not every month do I reach that goal. But then I have a reflection process of, okay, how did I do? What went wrong? What did I learn? Rather than beating myself up because I didn't do it perfectly, it's, okay, what can I learn from this and how do I want to move forward? And it's getting used to setting those goals and sometimes achieving them and sometimes not. But instead of shutting down until the next New Year's, it's, okay, what can I do differently and when can I start? Well said. Dr. Race, thank you so much for joining us and talking about how to be present during this holiday season. I personally learned a ton. I think, you know, to summarize, to sort of do a little wrap up for our audience, this idea that it's not our fault that our brains are wired and built to seek out bad news and to worry about bad things happening to us as part of survival. But fortunately, we developed other parts of our brain that allow us to sort of circumvent that by being present and that being present means to really just focus on what's going on in the here and now. And that by doing that in in a lot of the ways that you talked about, you know, morning rituals or daily practices can really help us to be more present. And I think ultimately, you know, being more present allows us to see the beauty and the gift of everything that we experience in our daily lives, as opposed to the negative things we see in our daily lives. Did I get that right? I think you summed it up really nicely, Chris. Well, thank you, Dr. Race again. And if you want to share Dr. Race's talk with someone you care about who couldn't be here tonight, we'll have this posted on the Silvasa Studio, the Collective Soul Community Facebook page, and the Silvasa YouTube channel in the next few days. And then the audio will be available for download as a podcast as part of season two of The Beauty Construct by the end of the year. Also, please join us next month, January 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for co-founder of Sylvasa, Dr. Ritu Chopra, as he will discuss breast implant illness. Thank you all for coming and have a very merry holiday season. Bye-bye. Even as 2020 becomes hindsight, And yes, the pun is intended. It's our hope that you've been inspired by how small changes can make a big difference in how you manage the stress and anxiety that are part of everyday life. Big thanks to Dr. Kristen Race for her ever practical and compassionate wisdom. And Dr. Chris Karras and the Silvasa Company team, and of course, our connected collective of intentional optimists who find beauty in well-being, empowerment, and resilience. 
Join us for episode two of season two of The Beauty Construct when Silvassa co-founder and leading aesthetic surgeon, Dr. Ritha Chopra, will join me in a discussion about a subject that is on many women's minds, breast implant illness. Thank you for listening. Here's to beauty in your presence.